You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. This is a little bit of a pre-recorded intro. Uh, we had a conversation with our good friend Cole Zwicker from The Stepian. Uh, he's the co-founder and a writer there as well. He is our draft expert. He's going to take us through everything at number 30 so that is going to be the conversation that we end up having uh we have the third part of a mailbag from last week that we will drop on tuesday this will be your monday podcast and then uh wednesday we can get a little bit closer to the draft and and see what we have there but uh today we'll have our conversation with cole zwicker tuesday we'll have the final part of our mailbag the third part of our mailbag from last week and then we'll move on from there. So uh, that's going to kind of be how this week goes. Obviously, the draft coming up on Thursday. We wanted to talk to Cole for a little while uh, about everything that the Bucks could possibly do with that 30th pick. And it's an interesting one because, you know, there's there's a real possibility that they end up moving it. So we'll kind of have to see what all happens there. But that is something we talked with Cole about as well. We went through some of the prospects that might make sense and kind of how the Bucks might try to approach the 30th pick in the draft. It's a, it's a different spot for the Bucks to be in. So we will have to see kind of what happens on Thursday. So with all that being said, this is going to be our draft conversation with Cole Zwicker, co-founder and writer at the Stepian. He is our draft expert. He brought it as he always does. So it should end up being a fun one. Here's our conversation with Cole. All right. So Cole, I, I guess the, the tough place with all of this is obviously we want to talk about the 30th pick and we want to talk about the draft, but I, I guess the, the thing a number of Bucks fans are thinking about, and I think both Frank and I are thinking about is whether or not they actually make this pick. And I think Frank posed an interesting question before we started recording about, you know, what, what does the relative value of the 30th pick look like? And then also, you know, what does it look like to salary dump or, or something like that where you can get yourself a spot in a better place to sign one of their free agents. So uh, I guess just kind of what does that 30th spot in the draft look like? Uh, I guess kind of irregardless of player, like is it, is it a deep draft? Is it uh, a draft that you might struggle to find value? Like how do you kind of look at this draft? I think from a perception perspective, when it comes to the NBA, it's viewed as a weak class. So I don't think that 30 is going to return a lot and be seen as like a high value pick, for example. Um, I think it's a little bit deeper than consensus because I like some of the upperclassmen in this class. I think some could definitely help the Bucks, which we'll get to. 
But uh, it's very hard to pick out exactly what the value of a draft pick is. It's situational. It could mean more to the Hawks, for example, with cap space. If they don't use it, maybe they say, you know, if we're not going to use our cap space, we're going to allocate that towards getting another pick. I don't think it's going to be the Hawks. They already have three first rounders, just kind of giving you a general overview. So I don't know if it's worth, let's say a team wants to take on Tony Snell at 11.4 million next year. I don't know if it's worth enough for that, but it's all I have the beholder only takes one asshole with all this stuff. So it's very situational. I always love the phrase. It only takes one asshole. This remains one of my favorite. You gotta, you gotta get that one ready uh, as we approach July one, because there's no, there's no better time for the only takes one asshole uh, phrase than, than July one. Let me, let me ask you this like too, just because obviously our listeners who listen regularly know kind of where uh, Eric and I stand on, uh, you know, Buck's off season priorities and kind of what's possible. What's not. Like I mean, we just saw this team go to obviously the the, the precipice of uh, of the NBA Finals. Um, obviously, fall short against the eventual champion Raptors. Um, clearly, they they have something that they can work work with moving forward. Um, I mean, what's what's your mindset? I mean, this is you know we we've been talking to you for a few years now, Cole. Um, we've we've never been in this position with the Bucks where they are obviously so close to um, getting to where every team aims to be. What what's like kind of your mindset if you put yourself in the shoes of the Bucks front office as far as this summer and you know maybe then as part of that um, you can maybe contextualize like the pick as well we know obviously there's not a ton of value in, in relatively speaking this draft as you were just saying um, but like wh- where would you sort of say a pick fits into the broader kind of scheme of um, of what the Bucks should be doing as far as part of their overall roster kind of over these next couple of years, especially given that they're obviously clearly now in, in a win now mode, even though, you know, they still have the, the their best players, a very long term piece, obviously, that you want to make sure that you're not completely uh, selling out the short term for, for everything for perhaps like you obviously want to think longer term with Giannis, but um, clearly this is in a, a much different place than, than, you know, we've seen the Bucks in recent years when we've talked to you. Well, you just answered your own question better than I could have possibly done so. So I think it's a very complex situation. Of course, the Bucks are right on the precipice of you know competing for a title. You know, I had them beating Boston in seven in the first round, and then Toronto kind of did what I thought Boston would do, make it a little bit more difficult, fell short. You can argue that Eric Bledsoe is kind of the difference, and Toronto helping off him, that really caused some issues for Giannis on drives, etc. So I, I think they're one of the teams, realistically, with how much overhaul there's been in the league right now, as far as the Anthony Davis trade, obviously the Warriors injuries, you look at the league landscape and you say, if the Bucks bring everybody back, like they could be considered the favorite to win the title, depending on Kawhi going too. So there's a lot of movement, a lot of dynamics there. So I think you have to start there and say, we are right on the win. We are right on the precipice of competing. We have this window and politically, of course, you have to do things and moves that Giannis is going to support. So Middleton has the player option. I'm guessing he's going to be priority number one to come back. George Hill probably be waived as a cap casualty, you know, with the one million guaranteed. Maybe he's back on a lesser deal. I think you have to prioritize those guys. Brooke Lopez, um, very integral to their system as far as the over and drop pick and roll coverage and, of course, the spacing from the five. So you have to prioritize these guys over, I think, the pick value. But also it gets difficult because you already have two first round picks out. In the future, you're going to need cost-effective assets moving forward. So if the Bucks really do think that someone in this class can help them, they have to consider that. And you also have to consider weighing that against what can you possibly offload. Can you offload Tony Snell to a team um, that has cap space that maybe 
might use wing depth. I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to that right now, but I think that the Bucks clearly have to prioritize their current core because the possibility of winning a title next year is very real. Uh, how how much do you think they need another rotation player for next year as opposed to, you know, the idea of training, you know, this year's pick and some money and who knows, you take back like some second round picks or something like that. Is there something to be said for attempting to in some way, and I understand it'll be difficult, but attempting to, you know, kind of reload some of those picks going forward, even if those are, you know, second round picks or future second round picks. Does that help in any way? Or I guess, how do you kind of take a look at those assets and how the Bucks might try to handle this? Yeah, I just think you have to look at what the roster needs. Can anybody fill a role that's not currently being filled? So I think Bledsoe kind of got played off the floor a little bit against Toronto, but he just got extended. So he's not like he's going to sit for a large amount of minutes. And if you bring Hill back, do you really need a Carson Edwards in this class? Who I think could actually help the Bucks. I think you're probably going to get a lot of pushback on that. But his skill set is actually pretty well tailored to their system offensively, not so much defensively, in my opinion. But it really has to come down to a specific skill set. You look at the rest of the roster, Dante DiVincenzo, how ready is he? I've always been a Sterling Brown fan, but he was not trusted in a high leverage situation because he wasn't guarded closely. Can you really find someone that can fill that role? Of course, you have Malcolm Brogdon to consider, probably going to price himself out of the Bucks range unless they can really offload a ton of salary. So do they, are they going to get a good enough shooter, for example, to play in their system? There are some guys like Cam Johnson's one of the best shooters in the draft. I think he's the best shooter in the draft. Can he play in the playoffs? Can he switch? There's a lot of dynamics there, but I do think there are players at 30 that could help the Bucks. I just don't know again with young guys, how much are they really prioritized and counted on in high leverage situations? Cole, do you? So I think in 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 the past, I've I've ch- generally been a guy who like my mindset is, you know, prioritize kind of long term upside over kind of like kind of short term, you know, risk minimization with a pick. So so basically, you know, the idea of going after you know, and and again, like it's easy to say like, oh, go after the Jan- the next Giannis, right? Okay, well there may never be an ex Giannis, right? Especially where the Bucks pick. But, you know, um, the idea, obviously, of, of kind of using the draft as a dice roll to go after really high-level potential long-term pieces versus trying to just sort of fill in, like, rotation guys. Obviously, when you pick later in the first round, you know, the ability to do that, it, it becomes more challenging. And, and it becomes, you know, if, if you go for big swings, you're likely going to miss more just because, you know, the reason these guys haven't gotten picked if you're able to get them at 30 or something like that. Um, but like, I don't know, I mean, what's your general mindset? Like if you're a 60 win team, like, is it as simple as, as saying, you know what, like we've got Giannis, we've got some really talented pieces around him, you know, Middleton, an all-star last year, kind of been a fringe all-star in the past. Bledsoe was a fringe all-star this year. Brogdon's obviously a talented guy. Lopez, if you can bring him back, obviously, um, is a super specialized, high-value piece for them. I mean, do you look at it? Look at it I think you, you kind of alluded to it briefly, but I mean, if you're the Bucks, I mean, do you look at guys who are more of those kind of like proven, quote-unquote, veteran uh, college players who are a little bit more known quantities and have a little more developed skill sets versus, you know, kind of dice roll guys? Or... Um, is where the Bucks are, you know, are as a franchise. Is that not impact kind of your mindset quite as much? Because you know, kind of the reverse to me is sort of like, well, you've got Giannis at twenty four, but then 
nobody else really on the roster has any sort of like upside. You know, I mean, like DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, like those guys have, I think, nice, you know, and Sterling have like nice role player upside, but I mean, they're not going to become like high level starters in, in my estimation, right? Like they have kind of like role playing starter type potential. Like, do you, do you still have like a dice roll mentality at all? Um, do you see dice roll type guys in that 30 range? that might be worth going or do you sort of from a bucks perspective, assuming they keep the pick, like does your mind kind of shift more towards something you think, you know, can be, have a higher chance of being like a, maybe a rotation guy who, who helps you at some point. Um, maybe not every playoff series, but maybe has a role at some point in a playoff series, uh, you know, maybe not next year, but, but a couple years down the road. Yeah. I'm always looking for difference makers in the class. Just historically, you want guys that help you move the needle. And I'm looking for 16 game players in the playoffs. I don't know if you can find that at every range in the draft. Like you noted, more of the upside guys are usually going to go higher. Not always the case because I think people affiliate, you know, athleticism and youth with upside, which is not always the case. There's a lot of older players that actually have the upside. So that's kind of like the draft inefficiency, like a Middleton, a Draymond, those kinds in the second round usually pay dividends at a high rate. But Finding a Jimmy Butler at 30 is easier said than done, of course. In this draft, I think Matisse Thibel is really interesting there just because I, he, his defensive instincts are through the roof. He has incredible range, elite-level off-ball defender, but I think is underrated because of the zone. So quickness, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, uh, wing from Washington, 6'5", seven-foot wingspan. He kind of fits the Bucks' defensive scheme a little bit with his closeout range and his ability to apply back, back pressure. So you see that with Pat Connaughton, for example. Matisse is even more athletic, I think, as far as you know, react t- reaction time and stuff like that. Um, if he shoots, he pays heavy dividends. I think if he shoots, he returns probably top 10 value in this class just as a two-way guy. Um, I think his skill level is a little underrated as far as his ball handling and his passing, but he's more of like a guy, a hot potato. He's more of a corner three-point shooter. But if he shoots off the catch, you have like an iteration maybe of Danny Green. But the question is, is he going to shoot? And and that's what you need to know because he's not going to shoot off movement. He's not going to be like a pick-and-roll ball handler. So I think upside could come in different ways. I tend to think it comes in, especially later in the draft, it comes in two-way players. That's where the inefficiency is as far as getting more defensive first guys. But uh, it's not like you're going to get Giannis at 30 ever. So it, it, there's different outcomes with these upside guys. I think that they they weigh differently in as far as, uh, you know, you're going to get Sikud and Boy in this class. He's going to be way gone by 30. He, he'd probably go top 10. A lot of people think he has a ton of upside because of Giannis and guys like Pascal Siakam. You can't dribble nearly as well. So I think there's always intricacies. There's always little skills involved with these players and these prospects that really separate them and in a lot of cases they suppress them from reaching that upside so and just to be clear here because i i didn't realize how extreme it was but tybal who you mentioned he's basically like guard wing size and he averaged five steals and 3.2 blocks per 40 at washington last year when i saw that i almost thought that was like a misprint because that just is insane for what he's like six five or something like that to average over two blocks per game in in a major conference. So um, to your point, uh, you know, didn't his shooting got worse weirdly as uh, as sort of from three point range um, as his college career kind of wore on, but was a good free throw shooter. So I, I don't know what to make of of that, but I mean, I guess that sort of highlights it, right? Like you almost kind of have to look for these weird guys if you want to find someone that that might really pop at the NBA level, right? Like. Um, and, and obviously at 30, the, the trade-offs are going to be inherently more severe, right? Like you're not going to get the guy who blocks two, two shots and gets five steals per 40 
if he was a 40% knockdown three-point shooter who could be a second side creator, right? Well, then he's not getting picked at 30. So, um, so yeah, obviously it's just, there's, you're going to have more warts presumably at, at 30 than, than at 15, than at eight or whatever. So, um, makes sense. Eric, did you, did you have a, something you wanted to say to that one? No, I was just going to ask, do you have any larger picture ideas or do you want to actually get into, to actual players now, Frank? No, I'm, I'm happy to look at players. I mean, I think, um, you know, Cole, like is, as you, I guess you'll kind of probably, this will probably be obvious. Like if you have some players that, that you would kind of earmark as like guys to watch or guys who you think might have good value specifically for the bucks. But I think certainly like what you would highlight is sort of like team needs, I think would be interesting. And, and again, obviously, you know, I, I think everyone is happy to always say kind of like best player available, but I think in context of a team, especially a very good team, right. Um, you know, a guy who, who maybe is a little bit more talented, but won't get an opportunity. You know, again, I think opportunity often sort of time plays a factor in, in kind of the, the whole whole BPA concept. But I don't know what, yeah, what, what's sort of your, your thinking as far as what the Bucks should be looking for? And, and maybe um, if there's guys other than Tybal that, that kind of jump out of you. I definitely like 16 game players just for the upside and playing in the playoffs. So that's why I would gravitate towards someone like Thibel, who is a great scheme fit defensively as far as closeout range. Again, can apply back pressure, get steals, get blocks, generate events. If he can hit a catch-and-shoot three at a reliable rate, I just think he can provide a lot of value at 30. So that's where I would go. But looking at some of the other guys, I do think there's some value here as far as shooting ability. Cam Johnson, best shooter in the class. You know, Carson Edwards can also shoot the hell out of the ball in a diverse amount of ways. Dylan Windler, this is probably where he starts coming into the conversation. I don't think he's necessarily a great value, but he's an excellent fit with the Bucks. Then you look at someone like Chumo Kiki, who's injured. And we see in the past, a lot of these injured guys can fall a little bit farther in the draft due to, of course, the injury. And I think if he's healthy, he's a top 25 guy on most teams' boards. He has that you know 7-1, wingspan, great team defender, one of the smartest overall players in the class, but especially in help defense. That could be alluring for the Bucks playing weak side gap defense, being able to close out with length, can shoot a catch and shoot three, not a switch guy. He's going to get you know, hurt a little bit in space defending these shiftier lead guards. He's more of a hybrid athletically between someone like Kyle Anderson and Robert Covington. But I do think that provides value at 30, especially when you get that, you know, weak side defense. So that's maybe the most valuable play on the board overall outside of Thibault. But uh, definitely some options for the Bucks. It just kind of depends on what they want as far as do they want that, you know, short-term skill need with shooting or do they want to shoot for some upside with maybe some two-way ability? So let's talk, let's talk about shooters. So because this is something that, you know, maybe I don't know if Frank feels this way, but I think when you look at this Bucks team and the fact that they're going to put up, you know, probably the first, second, or third most threes of anyone in the league, if you're going to put up that many threes – you should get guys that you know are knockdown shooters. I know Carson Edwards is in that range. Um, I know Dylan Windler is a guy that I think about quite a bit, uh, is someone that might make sense. So who are who, who would be the best shooters in that range? I know you mentioned Cam Johnson as well. Just uh, what do you think of, and I mean, like you want to have guys that can do it. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you could do it off the dribble, that's great. But uh, for the Bucks, really, it's just if everyone's going to focus so much on Giannis, you want guys that can knock it down on the kickout. Uh, who are the guys that are at least possible in this range, even if they have other warts elsewhere? Uh, but who are those elite shooters in that range at 30?
Yeah, for shooters, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the three main guys available in that range. Cam Johnson, Dylan Windler, Carson Edwards. Of course, Cam Johnson, the best movement shooter in the class, can come off a floppy set down screen and shoot off motion squaring in midair from NBA range. So he has that legitimate ability. I think he was something like 46% on NBA threes this year. So has that deep range, just a lightning quick release. Really trust him off the catch. The Bucks won't use him too much off motion, but very dependable shooter. In my opinion, again, the best in the class. Dylan Windler, probably the best fit for him in the draft is the Bucks just because he's more of a catch-and-shoot guy from NBA range. Not the same kind of movement dynamic that Cam Johnson has as far as you know utilizing screens for quick set situations but he has 28 to 30 foot range off the catch he can come a little bit off of actions that are a movement but he's more of a one-two shooter instead of like a hop square shooter but Milwaukee a lot of what they do is above the break they like guys like Brooke Lopez some of their wings spacing from you know beyond NBA three and I think if you try to close out on Windler he has enough to put the ball on the floor a couple times, make a, a quick decision, make a read. So he has some ability to convert if run off the line. Not a high-level pull-up shooter like someone like Tyler Hero, but I do like him a little bit there as far as a decision maker. And then lastly, you have, of course, Carson Edwards. Again, probably the most dynamic lead guard-esque shooter. He's not really a lead guard. He's more of an off-ball half-court player, which actually is kind of conducive to what the Bucks do. Transition point guard as far as putting pressure at the point of attack with his pull-up game. I can shoot from 30 feet, has a ton of power in his mechanics. He has a two-motion release, and that's just rare to see for a guy with a ton of rise in his jump shot, so it can really put pressure there. And then you can run him off screens as well. He has that ability to come off, sprint off a down screen, square quickly, convert. I trust him from NBA range off the catch. So you could look at him and say he could pick up some of these Eric Bledsoe minutes if he's not able to convert and defenses don't respect him I think with Carson Edwards he's going to have gravity which is a big deal um is there Carson Edwards is that like the best like small as far as shooters go what about like a guy like Ty Jerome where does he kind of fit into this yeah Jerome is definitely an elite shooter in this class I didn't mention him just because I don't think he has the foundational athleticism that threshold athleticism that you look for to be able to survive on an NBA floor can come off motion we see that a lot in Virginia's system the mover blocker system System. He has a ton of volume off screens, similar to Malcolm Brogdon in that respect. But again, I just don't really see him defending anybody in space in the playoffs. He's not going to be able to switch. He doesn't have the foot speed. He tried to guard the likes of you know RJ Barrett, Jarrett Culver, guys who are definitely NBA athletes, and they're going to be top six picks in this class, but they're not elite level athletes. And Jerome had no chance against either one of them, both in terms of quickness and in terms of strength. So while he does have that elite shooting ability and he can read the floor at a high level, very good anticipatory passer and pick and roll. If you're just looking for a guy to make shots, I could get the allure with him. I just don't think he satisfies those athleticism thresholds. I I guess, is that about it for shooters at any position? Like, are there any, like, like what is Bull Bull? Is he, is he that good of a shooter as a center? Like, uh, because if if the Bucks are thinking about okay maybe Brooke Lopez is gonna ask for too much money maybe you need a big that that can fit in is there is there literally any other shooters from like twenty to forty that could possibly be a fit for the Bucks? Bobo is really interesting. I mean he in my opinion he is an elite shooter. He has outstanding touch, kind of similar to DeAndre Ayton that way. Except for Bull really has that NBA range. We've seen that 
you know, in college, even if it was a small sample, we saw the comfortability from, you know, 28 feet. I think he fills that Brooke Lopez role conceptually pretty well offensively. He can just jack volume threes, again, beyond the NBA line, force closeouts. He's pretty coordinated as far as putting the ball on the floor as well, has some in and out dribbles in those settings. So from that standpoint in the offensive standpoint overall I think Bull does make some sense I worry about him more on the defensive end as far as his ability to change directions in space even in Milwaukee's over and drop scheme I don't know if he can really hold up against attacking guards with his frame high center of gravity so that's ideally honestly a great fit for him Milwaukee's one of the better fits just because of their scheme and you want him more at the rim and drop coverage so he can utilize his reach I just don't have a ton of confidence in him doing that but absolutely believe in the shooting Another elite shooter is Tyler Hero. I don't expect him to be there at 30. That's why I didn't cover him before, but might have arguably the best touch in the entire class as far as we see a 90% free throw shooter. That doesn't happen by accident. Incredible touch on runners around the rim. More of a catch and shoot guy as far as that goes, but he's extremely good when he's run off the line. He His one-two pull-up jumper is probably the best in the class. He doesn't have the same off-screen shooting ability as someone like Cam Johnson. He doesn't have the established NBA range like either Johnson or Windler, so I worry a little bit about that as far as immediate translation to the line, but long-term, I think he's going to be you know, a top-five shooter in this class. I just think his touch is that good. He just has to kind of work on that progression beyond the NBA line. Like Right now, he might be able to shoot NBA threes at a reasonable clip, but I don't know if he can really space two or three feet beyond the arc like a Dylan Windler. Cool. I mean, we, we talked about how the, the draft overall kind of like just at a really high level is, is not considered a strong one. But, um, you know, one thing I've kind of wondered about um, is, uh, you know, especially just from like a cap perspective, you know, the first the, the having the first pick or the last pick in the first round is kind of interesting because, you know, I was debating with someone like, well, is that better than having like the 31st pick? Right. And um, we've seen kind of different things happen. I mean, the low 30s picks, a lot of those guys have gotten. Um, certainly, you know, more, more than minimum first year contracts. I mean, the Bucks typically give more than the minimum on their second round picks just to lock them into third year deals. We've seen kind of different salary structures, guys in the early thirties get numbers that are at least approaching um, what the last pick in the first round gets on the rookie scale. Um, but it is interesting just because, I mean, on the one hand you do get, you know, those two team options and, and four total years of control plus restricted free agency thereafter, if you're a first round pick versus, um, you know, that first round pick though does automatically come with a cap hold that, you know, for the bucks is actually like, it can matter, right. Um, versus a, a second round pick where there's no cap hold going into free agency. And, you know, given how tight things are for the bucks, um, there is the chance they could open up a little bit of free, a little bit of cap room, even if they retain those Middleton and Brogdon holds. Um, and that could obviously be important for, for potentially getting Lopez on something other than the mid level, which kind of opens up a whole can of worms around like, you know, hard capping themselves and things like that. So uh, one thing I've been thinking about is like, well, you know, is there a trade down for either multiple second round picks this year or a second round this year and maybe a second round in the future where, especially given the Bucks don't really have future, you know, a lot of future seconds either at this point. Um, how would you characterize sort of the depth of the draft at 30 versus, you know, going into the middle of that second round? I mean, if you and I'm just I'm just throwing stuff out here because I, I don't know what what really the options would be. There, there's obviously a number of teams that have multiple second round picks, but I mean, is a trade down from 30 to you know the 45th and 50th picks? I mean, is there equity there in a move like that? Like, do you see a flatness in the talent level in that range from 30 to whatever number, 
Or do you think that there's a drop off where at 30, I mean, and obviously look like, okay, I get it. Like at 30, you should get a better player than you, you get later in the draft, just general logic. But, um, but like, do you think there is a potential value in, in trade back scenarios into the second round? Or do you feel like there is some sort of natural drop off point that, Hey, once you get into the mid forties, fifties, like you're uh, slim pickings versus where you might be at 30. I don't think it drops off in terms of value after 30. You look at the rest of the class, I think you can find value even as an undrafted free agent. I like guys like Cody Martin out of Nevada. I think he could return some value. What I do think you have to consider here is the shooting. The specialists might be gone at that juncture. Maybe Dylan Windler falls into the 40s, but Cam Johnson's probably gone You know, late first round, early second round at the latest. Same with Carson Edwards. So if you really want that shooting and that single skill, I think you have to take them at a higher level. You can't trade back. Um, but from a value standpoint, I think you could trade back to, say, the Hawks conceptually, who have two picks in the 40s. You know, Maybe Windler falls to one of those picks, and then you can roll the dice on someone like Jonte Porter or Chumo Kiki, two guys, again, who are injured. And there could be some value there as far as if they can get back healthy because, to me, again, they're, they're top 20 talents in the class. So that's what I look at. I, I don't think it drops off value-wise. But if you're looking for a need, and, of course, the Bucks have a very specific need for shooting, other than Giannis, I think you might lose, you know, the top five, top six shooters in the class in that range. Tell me about Jonte Porter. Last year, we talked about him at, uh, at well, for the Bucks first rounder, we talked about him at seventeen. What do you think about him now? It's a year old. It's a year later. Um, two straight ACL tears. For like, it just feels like you know maybe there's a bit of unluckiness uh, there for Jonte Porter, but what do you see from him? I just love Jonte Porter as a basketball player. He's so cerebral for his age. If you saw him in this class of freshmen, he would just really stand out, even compared to someone like Zion. Of course, that doesn't matter very much because Zion's a total freak show, but his IQ, his brain processes the game at a faster rate than almost anybody I've seen at that age. Um, can pick and pop. I love his shooting ability above the break. I think he can shoot volume threes there. He can, you know, make a play in short roll. He can decipher the entire floor quickly. But mostly for the Bucks case, it's going to be the shooting and then the ball movement. He's an excellent ball mover as far as secondarily. He'll make great decisions. And that's something that the Bucks kind of lack as far as secondary creators. So I really like him in that respect. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. Underrated coordination and ball handling ability. His issue is that he's not a good finisher around the rim. Um, he doesn't have explosion. He doesn't have that great length extension. He just can't really jump, and that limits his offensive utility in certain creation settings. I don't think that has as great of ramifications for the Bucks Defensively, where does he fit? Uh, he lost a ton of weight at the combine, really trimmed down. That gives some hope that maybe with a more athletic build, he can be more agile in space. He's actually pretty good in space as far as footwork-wise, not crazy as far as you know, reacting to drives. He doesn't have that twitch or anything to that extent, but I think he's actually a little bit underrated. So if he lost some weight, he might be better holding up in those settings. Where you worry about him is as a backline rim protector, especially from a standstill at the rim, like in the Bucks over and drop scheme. I don't think he can play the role that Lopez does. He's not that big. You know, you're going to have guards that can just explode right over the top of him. He's not going to be able to combat in those settings. So I don't know. He's a great help defender as far as instinctually. He knows where to be. He makes the right rotations, but not someone who covers a ton of ground and not someone who can really protect the rim from a standstill. So I just think from a talent perspective, he can do so many things well. He's so skilled. He's so smart. But there are some very viable limitations, especially when you consider the medical history and 
it's a really convoluted situation. So it's going to take the medical reports. I'm not sure if teams are going to get access to those, but uh, I, I love the talent. Yeah, I think Jonte is really interesting to me just because um, at some point, like, you know, talent has to trump sort of the injury stuff. And whether that's at 30 or 45, I don't know, right? And I think with the Bucks in particular, I mean, for better or worse, they have experience with guys who've had double ACL tears to the same knee with Jabari, who, you know, for all his problems, uh, obviously the knee, I think, has been a, a, a positive the last couple of years, being able to come back from from the second ACL. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, like you said, maybe the Bucks are actually like, a, you know, that great fit for him. That would make sense. But, you know, whether you have to take him at 30, obviously that that's kind of to be debated. Um let me ask you this. I think a couple kind of groups of players that, um, I mean, I think Eric and I are admittedly uh, way behind uh, even more than usual this year on draft stuff, but uh, international guys, as well as kind of the high school slash didn't play, you know, division one basketball last year types from American players, are always sort of the guys we have the biggest blind spots for. So um, maybe Cole, if you want to talk a little bit about sort of international players that you think are interesting um, like late and again, good or bad, um, international players that are of interest in kind of the late first to second round. Um, and then also specifically, uh, Darius Basley and, um, Jalen Leck being kind of a couple Americans that are, you know, getting buzz as, as potential, like, you know, probably second round picks, I'm guessing, um, that, you know, just because they are guys that did not play college basketball are, are kind of under the radar for a lot of us. So, um, if you have any thoughts on those guys, uh, or international guys would be, would be great to kind of get your, your, you know, your quick synopsis so that we can um, make sure that we don't, you know, get any really bad takes about guys that we've barely seen. Yeah. So Lucas Samanich is the most likely in that range as far as internationals go. He played at the Combine, uh, 6'10", kind of the modern four in a lot of ways. He is pretty switchable, honestly. He added a ton of strength. I was really impressed with his build as far as his ability to put on that kind of girth because that was one of his biggest concerns is how does he hold up on the interior. I thought he represented himself really well at the Combine 5-on-5. So he only played in the first scrimmage because he played so well. Uh, but you can see the lateral quickness. I, I liked his first step and his ability to dip low with the ball. I thought that was interesting. But really, you're drafting him to potentially switch a little bit on the perimeter. And then he can shoot the ball off the catch. He looked pretty comfortable doing that. Can make some plays as far as put the ball on the floor. A lot of people said Rodion's Kuruks as far as the comparison point. I get why they'd say that just because Kuruks had that burst that kind of surprised me a little bit. And that was the same effect with Samanich. I'm not sure about Luka's feel. On the floor, as far as he's not a very comfortable passer from what I've seen in my sample size. Um, you know, he kills his dribble at times, even though his handle is, is pretty underrated. But as far as decision making goes, I don't really see it. But again, in the Bucks game, if he can shoot those deeper threes, if he can pick and pop a little bit occasionally, I think he could be useful. I think ESPN has Samanich going to the Bucks right now in their current iteration of their mock. So he's definitely someone to get familiar with. Davidis Servetus, um, he's another international wing more of like a combo forward type one of the best movement shooters in the class um you know six nine size can shoot the ball quickly off of motion he can shoot deeper threes i question the athleticism overall a little bit can he really guard close out effectively and play in that kind of scheme but he does have underrated feel i think he's a pretty damn good passer he can make decisions on the move i think he can make some plays in transition as well but mainly the allure with him is the deep range shooting and the last one is Yovel Zusman. Um, he's kind of like this secondary ball handler type. The questions with him are more shooting based. Um, his mechanics aren't the best. Mostly with him, it's like he can run a secondary pick and roll and like make skip pass reads. He's a really high IQ player, good defensively in space. I think he's going to translate well there. 
but he's not the kind of shooter that you're really going to bank on. And I don't think he goes nearly that high. I think the current iterations of most mocks have him, you know, the last 10 picks of the second round. So a, a name to know, but I don't think he's going to go in that range. The two high school kids, Darius Baisley, saw him at Hoop Summit about a year and a half ago. Um, he looked literally four years away. Um, you can see the athleticism, very fluid but he didn't really know how to play. And he's someone, again, who impressed at the combine. His athleticism really pops as far as just how functional it is in certain respects, like on drives. He was a better passer than I thought he'd be. Um, but you're mainly drafting him for you know space defense, the ability to attack closeouts, get out in the break, really get out in the break. He's probably the best transition player of this group by a good amount. But uh, I don't know about the jump shot, two motion shot. Can he really shoot consistently off the catch? Jalen Leck is just a freak show athlete. Um, he's a little bit smaller, more of like a combo guard type, but he's he's a jump out of the gym guy and he has some handling allure. I thought his ball skills were a little underrated as far as his dribble pass ability, but he has no shooting ability right now at all. He has no gravity. Like guys were giving him huge cushions at the combine, for example, and he couldn't really take advantage of that. He was a little awkward in space. So he's more of just right now, he's just like a dynamic athlete. I don't know what the time frame is as far as him contributing it at all. Uh, you mentioned Baisley. Can we can we talk a little bit about Kevin Porter Jr.? I don't really have a great feel for where he could be. I know he has some of that, uh, you know, background. Is he, is he a great character guy or, or, or whatever it may be? But, you know, it feels like if that would be a guy that falls all the way to 30, like you have to at least think about it. I don't know if he falls that far, but I, I guess just kind of was your feeling, Kevin Porter Jr. from USC. Yeah, probably the biggest wild card in the entire class as far as talent goes. If you look at his highlights, you probably think he's like a top five pick because the separation he can create off the dribble. No one else can do that in this class. Nobody's that explosive in and out of their moves. Not like a high, high level ball handler as far as control. He's good, but not great. Like Darius Garland, for example, is a better ball handler. But as far as Kevin Porter's shake and like his step back ability is just on a different level. We don't really know really with him as far as putting him in a high leverage situation, played a lot off the ball at USC. USC was a total train wreck this year. So he's not like he functioned a lot in like pick and roll settings, making reads. A lot of it was, you know, catch and shoot, all he did this year was take step back jumpers. He would have driving lanes to the rim and he's a good athlete. Like he should be able to take advantage of these. And all he did was settle for step backs and his mechanics are kind of wonky. He has that right shot line. So he brings the ball in exaggerated fashion up the right side of his body with a lower release point. Um, it's not ideal, but he can create the, enough separation to, to actually shoot. Well, we just don't know if he's a real shooter or not. He's just a shot maker right now that has some passing ability. We saw that in the university of Washington game. But I just don't know what to do with him. From a talent play, again, like the, the ability to create separation is good. I think his defense is underrated as far as his playmaking instincts off the ball. He's got a great frame, so I think he could compete as a switch defender in time. But uh, I, I don't know. If you factor in his work ethic, you really have to get a good feel for how much he loves the game, how much he wants to improve, because there is a lot of variance with him. He just did a baseline Smitty, and I don't even know what game it was this <laughs> year, but he had like a baseline Smitty, and I was like, that kind of looks like Jabari Parker. And I was like, okay, like if you get that at 30, I don't think it's the worst thing, but maybe I'm way off. I just saw that one move, and I was like, oh, shit, that was super athletic. Like It was a baseline Smitty into like a, a poster dunk, and I was like, Whoa. Okay. Um, so th that was just something I wanted to ask about. I, I guess I'll kind of end here 
with, and again, maybe Frank has a different follow-up that he wants to ask, but I'll just end with, you know, what do you think is, is best for the Bucks at 30? We've talked through a number of prospects. Um, we don't actually know if the Bucks end up keeping this pick, but if they do, what, what do you think is kind of the best outcome uh, as far as from a player perspective? I think I would still go Matisse Thybul. There's been some rumors that the Bucks were the team that promised him. Talking to you guys, I'm more dubious on that. But it's it's a team between 21 and 30, we think, that has a promise to the Bucs. He just fits their scheme as far as defensively to a T. Again, if he shoots, I think he brings that upside. Maybe not as far as creation, but as far as value on the floor. So I don't know if he falls to 30. I think he could go 24 to the Sixers. He could go to the Warriors, for example. It sounds like Oklahoma City, that's probably not going to be the team, even though that's like the most Sam Presti pick of all time. So... I think that just from an upside standpoint, he would be an interesting wing fit. It, you could say best case would be someone like Cam Johnson as well from a shooting perspective, but this is tough because the Bucks are a contender. So I, I would allow that pick as far as upside just because you're feeling a need that could actually help you now. It's not like the Orlando Magic taking Cam Johnson when they should be aiming much higher than that. I still say Thibel, but I would not be upset if they took Cam Johnson. I think that's a great fit. Dylan Windler's not the best case, but he might be the most realistic case. I, I don't know. Cole, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Cole Zwicker, co-founder and writer over at The Stepian. The Stepian is unbelievable. Uh, it is just the most ridiculous website I've ever kind of seen because you guys just like, don't like you just go in depth and you like actually break down prospects, no matter how long it may take, uh, no matter how long the, the read may say this will be, uh, you guys will go into it. And I think we absolutely love it here. So big shout out to you for coming on to the podcast and a big shout out to you writing all day yet today. Um, I know you did that all day Sunday. I'm sure you'll be doing it all day Monday. So thanks so much for coming by Cole. Thanks for having me, man. It's always a good time.